Before we turn to God's word, I just want to, I just want to be able to share a bit of my excitement. Um, those of you who know me well know that lots of things make me excited. So a couple of the things that make me excited is that there are a few people who are in person in church today for the first time since we locked down, and that's just amazing. Yeah. Here's what's also exciting is that, that there are going to be people this morning who are watching us online for the first time as well. And, and that's just, it's, it's just such a wonderful gift to be able to reach beyond where you always were able to reach. And, and I, I want to I just unpack a little bit of what Shavar said about the intern program. I mean, it wasn't last year that we planned it. It was the year before last, Shavar, before we knew COVID was going to be a thing. And, and, and you launch something, and you go, yes, and then COVID happens. But then you see God doing amazing things. And I say this often, and I'm going to keep saying it. You're going to get tired of me saying it. It's just so fantastic to see God working in mysterious ways. Um, providing, you know, a house for a whole year for our interns. I mean, that's in Westville. It seems impossible, but God does it. Uh, it just excites me so much that, that we don't get to do what we do on our own or that God just gets to do it on his own. And, and that's part of what I love so much about this church is that, is that people say, I may not be able to do a lot. Some people say, I can do a lot. And then they do it, not for the sake of our church, but for the sake of God's kingdom and his glory. And so I'm excited for all sorts of things. And I just want to say thank you to God. God, thank you for your, <laughs> for your goodness and your abundance and your provision. God, thank you for, for finances. Thank you for friends. Thank you for, for being able to serve you. Thank you for the struggles you put us under to grow us and develop us. Lord, thank you that we can meet together and not be together and still meet. What a privilege, Lord. God, help us all as individuals and as your church family to use those privileges for the kingdom and for your glory and for, for the world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I wanna, I wanna show you some of my jewelry this morning. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of jewelry, but those are my three rings. I actually have four, but <clears throat> one of them's lost, and I'll tell you a little bit. But each of those rings has a meaning to them. They're not just random, the, the big one the, the, is a signet ring that my parents gave me when I probably was about 18 or 19, and it, it belonged to my dad. My mom gave it to my dad at some point, and I have the same initials as my dad, so that works out really well. You know, JB, it all, it all stays the same. And, and, and it was just one of those things that parents say to their child here. And then the small one is my wedding ring. Um, and it's also obviously hugely important because it, you know, People look at me and they go, he's married. He's connected to somebody else. The big one is what's called a mourning ring, as in M-O-U-R, mourning, not good mourning. 
and it's a replica of a family heirloom that, that dates back from 1693 of a mourning ring that's been passed down in our family. And, and the replicates, the one I wear on this hand, has gold from my dad's wedding ring in it. And so it's massively symbolic. I'm so glad I've got it because that other one that I told you about, since we've moved from this house to our house, I can't find it. I've lost a ring that's been in my family since 1693. I'm confident we will find it. But all of them mean something. They're not just decoration. In the past, rings meant much more even than that. But let's go there just now because I want us to jump back into the book of Haggai. So we've done two weeks, and if you weren't with us last week, please will you go back and look again. And if you have the opportunity, please look at the, at, the, um, at the Bible Project video on Haggai that'll sum it up for you. I just wanna say a few things theologically about prophecy. I started last week by saying some things about prophecy which would help you with prophecy in a bigger context. And, and I wanna do the same thing this morning, and I just wanna say three brief things about prophecies in general. Uh, and, and this one in particular. Lots of the prophets, especially the post-exilic prophets, the prophets that come after that, exile like Haggai, talk a lot about the temple and the restoration of the temple. And, and when those prophets were talking to the, the Israelites, the original hearers of this, they would have always thought about a physical temple, a particular place in Jerusalem, which can still be identified to this day. So when he spoke of the temple for those people, they were thinking of a physical place. Now, today, as followers of Jesus, when God speaks to us about a temple, he's not talking about a physical place anymore. Well, he is. He's not talking about a building. But he's talking about your and my hearts. Because the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And often we get those two things confused, and so we think that, that it, it doesn't mean it's us, it, it's, it's them. No, it's both. It was then, then, and it's us now. So, so don't confuse the temple then and the temple now. Secondly, often in prophecy, God's promises are fulfilled more than once. Often in prophecy, God's promises are fulfilled more than once. Whenever the prophets spoke, they, they, they spoke very often of an immediate fulfillment. And then, well, the temple's a good example. The, the nation of Israel has had three, four temples if you count the tabernacle. But they've had four temples. And so often, prophecies are fulfilled more than once. And, and many of them have an ultimate fulfillment, but that doesn't mean the other ones aren't important. In fact, we're privileged because Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of many prophecies. But, but you know how you can get confused between the ultimate fulfillment and the ongoing fulfillment? If you grew up in my generation, remember the book, The Late Great Planet Earth? 
mean, I, I don't know how many times I've been told the, earth, the world is going to end then. And apparently it hasn't. It's still here. Or that this country is going to do that and there's going to be this battle in Armageddon. I'm still waiting. That doesn't mean that's not going to happen. But, but we need to understand that God is working through all of history all of the time. God's promises can be fulfilled more than once. The last thing that's, that's really helpful when we grapple with prophecy is that future fulfillments often come in very unexpected ways. Future fulfillments of prophecy often come in very unexpected ways. Jesus is the best example of that. You know, the, 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 the Hebrews, the, the, the people of Israel, when Jesus came, they missed him. Why? Because they'd read scripture and they, and they thought Messiah looked a particular way. And they, they thought that because they'd been reading the Bible, their Bible, and, and they'd, they'd seen some things and then they'd missed some other things. And so when we approach prophecy, we must approach it humbly. Because, because something may seem so obvious to us. You know, when I was growing up, Russia was just so obviously a certain character in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, but now not so much anymore. Because often for full future fulfillments of prophecy are in unexpected ways, and we as God's children must be humble and be able to say, okay, I missed that, but here God is. So much for understanding prophecy in the broad spectrum. Let's go back to the book of Haggai. Let's read together the second chapter and see what God has to say to us today and to those people back then. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them... Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? There, may, there were some that were very old, but they'd seen the old temple. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the fourth day, in the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests about the, what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. 
Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. And anyone, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When someone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I, stuck all, I struck all the works of your hands with blood, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, for this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the, to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, be careful, though. It's there. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servants, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. <coughs> So here we've got a really nice package. You can really go, for those of you who like structure, this is fantastic. There's three different words of the Lord here. They're packaged nicely, they've been put into dates, we even know when they happen, so there's, we don't have to argue about historical stuff here, it's there. So there are four, three words from the Lord, and together they have four reminders in them. Together, those three words of the Lord, there's four things that each of them cover. The first word is verse 1 to 9. The second one is 10 to 19. And then the third one is 20 to 23. And so I'm, I'm not going to refer to every one of them, but I'm going to bring out the common themes, those reminders, those four things that God wanted to tell the Israelites and that God wants to tell us today through this prophet Haggai. The first reminder is this. It is reminding us and those people about God's presence and about God's power. If you go back and look at, at the language, verse four, for example, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Folks, it, it's so easy to miss God being with us, isn't it? And, and we all have our zones of weakness. We all do. You know, if I get into a certain place in relationships or, or if I get into a certain place financially or if I get into a certain place health-wise, it, it, it becomes so easy. It becomes easy, like Israel, when we look back and we know we've disobeyed God, to think that God isn't with us. It's also so easy 
to think that because times are tough, God has somehow lost his power. And I want you to go back and look at this passage. It's so short. And just see the language, how in each of these three sections, God reminds Zerubbabel, God reminds the people, every single one of us, I'm with you and I'm powerful. I'll shake the heavens. It was so important for these people in the state to understand that. The king of Persia, Darius, was hands down the most powerful man in the whole world. He ruled over the biggest empire in the whole world. He had, he had the power of life and death. And we go and read the book of Daniel. You know, king gets grumpy, he says, throw them into a furnace, throw them into a lion's den. That's with these guys. I know that we often think of a certain country as being the most powerful country in the world, you know. America or China. Let's put those guys in a room and see who is actually the most powerful. There will be competition going on there for sure. But not in these days. These people knew the most powerful person on earth is Darius. And God reminds them, I'm more powerful than him. In fact, I set him up. I'm the guy who put him there so that this thing can happen. And we need this reminder again and again as God's people, just like these Israelites did, of God's presence and God's power. There's a second reminder here. A reminder that whatever circumstance you are in, they are temporary. A reminder that circumstances are temporary. I wonder how those old people who remembered what that temple looked like felt. And that temple that Solomon built was mind-boggling. I mean, literally, there were huge statues that whole walls that were just covered in gold. You know, you know the curtains, the clasps of the curtains had, had massive jewels on them. I mean, it was, it was one of those places where you just like, and now the temple was just a foundation. The Babylonians flattened it. They turned it into rubble. And God is reminding these people that these circumstances are temporary. He says to them, you, you think that old temple was beautiful. Wait until you see what I'm going to do. Don't worry about this rubble. Just start doing what I'm telling you to do here, now. You're not responsible for the whole design of the whole thing. I'm responsible. I'll make sure it happens. Our circumstances and the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our relationships are temporary. God is with us. There's a third reminder, and it's a reminder of the challenges of real-world godliness. There's that section in the middle there where he sends Haggai to go and talk to the priests, and, and he talks about how it's all ceremonial stuff, and it may read a bit weird, but you know, if you've got ceremonial meat and, and you're carrying it and you touch something that doesn't belong to, you know, what affects what? And the priests come with the answer that, that what's defiled makes what is holy unholy. 
Now, we can unpack all the symbolism there, but here's the principle. The principle is this, that as God's people, we can and must interact with the world. And one of two things is gonna happen. Either the world is gonna defile us, or we are gonna make the world holy. See, those are one of two things. And, and, and God's people have often tried to separate themselves out so that they don't have to deal with that issue. But that's not what God says. Jesus makes it very clear that we're supposed to go into the world. But we have to go into the world in such a way that rather than the world defiling us, we make it holy. And, and God is reminding the people in those days that the problem was you always used to go into the temple and just think that if you performed a couple of ceremonies, you could act like you wanted to out there. But that's not true. You see, you have to take what God has given you and how he's made you and take it out into the world. You read some of the other prophets, and God says, hey, you can, you can sacrifice 10,000 rams to me. But if you go out there and, and, and cheat poor people, or if you go out there and, 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 and beat your wives, or if you go out there and do things I've told you not to do, all of that stuff in the temple is irrelevant. And so there's this reminder in all three of these sections that our job is to, well, Jesus said it, be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We must make it holy. It doesn't make us unholy. And here's the last reminder of the four. And it's the one I want to spend a little bit more time on than I have on the other three. It is a reminder of what chosen means. Now, we've read quite a lot in this passage about God being with us and God choosing us. And so right at the end of this passage, God puts a big line under it to remind Zerubbabel and all the people and us today what being chosen means. So let's go back to those rings. Remember those rings in the beginning? So each one of those rings has a meaning. Each one of those rings has some significance. One of those rings, its meaning is we are connected as a family. This is a signet ring. It went from a father to a son. And it, you know, John Ben, the JB, and here, it means that. This ring means that I am married to somebody not just anybody, but somebody amazing that thought I was worth spending money for gold on. I, I purposely didn't include Colleen's engagement ring in those rings because <laughs> she bought it. <laughs> um, just saying, so it's not a ring that I owned. She bought it for herself, but it's a long story. I was a poor student. This ring is a reminder of where I come from. That the person who gave me life is no longer with us. But, but I've got something special of him 
with me. Each of them has a meaning. But rings are powerful in other ways. I mean, let's face it, there's the beauty of rings. Um, sometimes they're really ugly, but, but, but most people who put a ring on their finger do it because it's beautiful. I have to confess this, my family, um, we were one of those families who was able to talk about who gets what when the, my parents were still alive. Um, we were blessed that there wasn't that competition. And, and my mom had very particular things she wanted to happen with her jewelry. You know, this one goes to that one, this one goes. And I said to her, Mom, I love you, and I know the jewelry's going to go to the girls, but I get the opals. I'm just saying, I get the opals. Why? An opal is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. Who agrees with me? An opal is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. There's this amazing stone that God buries in the, in the back end of Australia. I mean, really? But they're so beautiful. So, so a ring signifies beauty and symbolizes beauty. Ring symbolizes value. Not only the value of the material, but the value of the person. I, I'm going to give you this thing, this precious thing. And then, of course, and we've spoken about it, there's symbolism. Rings are quite important today, but back then, they were much more important. And so, so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this last thing that God says to Zerubbabel. He says, I've chosen you, I'm with you, I'm gonna use you, and now I'm gonna tell you how deep and how important and how life-changing me choosing you is. You, Zerubbabel, are going to become like my signet ring. I want to tell you this, he was saying something huge. You see, probably Zerubbabel would have had a ring with him. He was the governor of that part of the world, and he'd been given that governor status by Darius, the king. And that made him an incredibly powerful man, an incredibly powerful man. Not because he was clever, he may have been. Not because of any physical thing, but because of the ring that he carried with him. He would have carried, in some sense, a royal signet ring. The symbol of, of his power as the governor. A symbol of his authority. And understand how powerful that ring was. It was, it was delegated power from the most powerful man in the world. And God is saying to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, that ring is nothing. See, I'm going to make you my signet ring. You're not going to carry some ring of some king who one day is going to be dead. You are going to be my signet ring. You know what that means? 
what God was telling Zerubbabel in that moment is that because you're my signet ring, you were going to bear my image. Part of the ring would have been some symbol that anybody who looked at it immediately went, ah, Darius, ah, the Babylonian Empire, ah, whichever king. They would be able to look and they go, ah, it's about him. Bearing the one who's given you the ring's image. The second thing that that ring would have meant is that being God's signet ring means Zerubbabel that you represent me. You represent me. All of us like it when we get to be the messenger of somebody important, don't we? Well, I do. kind of gives you kind of this amazing thing by association. Zerubbabel, you don't just represent the king of Persia. You represent me. Being God's signet ring means that you represent his authority or you carry his authority. You don't have to be strong, you don't have to be clever, you don't have to do any of those things. You have my authority, Zerubbabel. I back you. And then finally, being God's signet rings means we, Zerubbabel, has God's backing. I mean, that was why they were able to build a temple. That's why they were able to do those things. They were poor. They were ex-refugees. They'd come to land. They couldn't do anything. Why could they do all that stuff? Well, because the king gave them the stuff they needed to do to build the temple again. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that this passage applies to you? Do you think that given what we can do with prophecies, do you think you are God's signet ring? I want to answer the question for you. I think you are. See, I, I, I genuinely think you are. Lots of people like to say, I'm this from the Old Testament because, you know, that makes them important. But I, I just want to go back. Being God's signet ring for Zerubbabel means you bear God's image. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works. We are the children of God. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, I call you brothers. The Bible is full of the fact that you and I, as God's children, bear God's image. We are his image bearers. Our church community is the body of Christ. You see, over and over and over, we as God's children today are told that we bear God's image. Okay? A signet ring bears an image. Being God's signet ring means we represent him. Go, go, go back. Go back to the New Testament. We are God's ambassadors. 
Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach. Jesus says to Peter, what you bind on heaven will be bound on earth and what you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. I give you the keys of the kingdom. We represent God's, who God is. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. We bear God's image. We represent him. We represent his authority. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples. We we represent God's authority here on earth. And Jesus had a hard time teaching his disciples how to handle that because they wanted to have his authority and beat people up. And Jesus says, no, 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 if you're my servants, you've got to be the least. It's a hard one. And then finally, a signet ring means we have the backing of the one whose ring we bear. I am with you always to the end of the age. Fuck, there's no other way to interpret this. This was a message for Zerubbabel in those days, but it is a message for you and I today that you and I as God's children, as his followers, as those who walk with him are his, we're chosen by him and we're not just chosen in some kind of nice way, I pick you and not you. We are chosen to be God's signet ring. We are chosen to represent him in the world. We are chosen to go into a world and say, God wants to rebuild this world. Still don't believe me? I want to read you this passage. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking to Christians. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The first part of that passage tells us who we are. And I want you to pause for a moment. And I want you to take in who you are. While we were worshiping, we talked about God's presence. Somebody came to me and said, I I just see a picture of us needing to pause and take a moment to dwell in God's presence. You know why I lost that other ring, don't you? Because I wasn't wearing it. I put it in a box somewhere. If you are God's ring, then God is wearing you right now. He's that close to you. Let's just pause for a moment. And, and God, thank you that you are, you are as close to us as a ring on a finger. God, what a privilege. And now, Lord, we don't want to we can't do nothing with that presence, Lord. We can't do nothing with it. A ring in a box, it's just a ring. But Lord, you tell us that we are on your finger. 
and we are your special possession. Why? So that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that's what happened to the people of Israel. They, they ended up in exile because they thought that being God's chosen people was just so that they could feel good about themselves and be better than anybody else. No, that's not why they were chosen. They were chosen to be a ring, to go out there and, and declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Guys, we are God's signet ring. My gosh, what a great week it's gonna be. Going out there, representing him, having his authority, knowing he's with us, knowing that he loves us and he's backing us. Let's stand together and say thank you to God for that. Lord, thank you for this ancient, ancient, ancient book that tells us so clearly that you've got us. That tells us so clearly that this broken world and these broken temples aren't where it's meant to end. Tells us so clearly that, that your glory is gonna get greater and greater and greater. And Lord, that it tells us that we get to be part of that journey. God, thank you. Lord, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that your grace, mercy, and peace, the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is with us all, every day. And Lord, as we go out now, we remind ourselves of this that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you and enjoy being a ring the whole week.